0: Hey guys, welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. In today's episode, I sit down with fashion designer, Rachel Pally. Rachel and I talk about the myth of balance, and if it isn't balance we're seeking, then what is it? Reclaiming self-care and what it looks like for her, the double-edged sword of social media, tapping out when we get touched out and the different things that brought Rachel to seek support through therapy herself. Rachel is such a joy to be with. I had so much fun with her in this conversation, and I am so excited to share this conversation with all of you. Let's get to it. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast with Dr. Cassidy Freitas, licensed marriage and family therapist. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, let's jump in. Hello and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy, and I am sitting across from... Fashion designer and mom, Rachel Pally. Rachel, thank you so much for inviting me into your beautiful home and taking the time out of the limited hours of the day to sit here and talk to me today. Well, thank you
1: for having me. I think this is wonderful. It's a great use of my hours of the day. I love it.
0: (laughs) Oh, perfect. So, Rachel, Let's talk. Oh, I love origin stories. So, can we talk just a little bit about your origin story? How did you come to being the successful fashion designer who has been in business now for what, like sixteen 15 years? Fifteen years. Fifteen or years. Or sixteen, going on sixteen years. Oh my god! Yes, <laughs> you've been doing this for a while. How did you tell me a little bit about your origin story? Where Where do you come from? Well, my parents always owned their own
1: business, so growing up, I had. Parents with very flexible schedules. There was always someone available. You know, if one of if my brother or I were sick or we could travel on off times. I just feel like that lifestyle mm. became very important to who I am. Entrepreneurship, and entrepreneurship, and flexibility, mm. and being able to kind of um, make your own way. And the, my, I watched my parents have ups and downs with their business, but totally um, committed to their own journey and. Mm. Um, so I always wanted to work for myself, but I didn't know what that was going to look like. Mm. And in college I studied geography, which is a very useful degree from Berkeley. (laughs) So glad I have that degree. (laughs) And I got a minor. Geography. (laughs) So geography. So you're studying. I studied the way that people use space, not maps, but more like, um, architecture and sociology and you know I kind of lumped together ethnic studies and women's studies a little bit of everything and it all kind of got squished into the geography um department which was um super interesting and so out there as far as (laughs) like (laughs) what you can do with your BA but I also got a minor in dance and um it's a. It was modern dance program, and I had to do a certain amount of hours in the costume shop or mm-hmm. as a lighting tech. Or um, and I chose costume shop, and I fell in love with making dance costumes. And honestly, I'm a terrible seamstress, but with stretchy dance costumes, no one was judging like the construction of it. It just had to flow with the body and be, you know,
0: it had to be. Comfortable. It had to be
1: comfortable, and it had to be flexible, and it kind of still has, um, affected the way that I design, you know, I, you have to work with different women's bodies and think about movement. And it, it was so fun to do that. And I had no experience. I had, I grew up sewing a little bit with my grandma, but she was a great seamstress. So it was very supervised. And, um, I just, my, um, when I was still in college, my parents got me a sewing machine and I started to buy fabric at the dollar store near my apartment. And, just loved making clothes. My girlfriends were wearing them and I was wearing them. And I was visiting home in LA where my parents, where I'm from. And I went into a store and the woman said, Oh, I love your dress. Where'd you get it? And I said, Oh, I made it. (laughs) I made this. She said, do you have anything else? And so I actually pulled out a bag of laundry from my car because I was home from college. So, you know, you bring your laundry home and i showed her what i had and she said i could sell this why don't you start sending some she so literally brought it literally your brought laundry my laundry from your yes.
0: car and that that's, was your first yeah. sale
1: yeah so at 22 i was like wow. maybe this is a good idea whereas at 38 i don't know that i would like bring my dirty laundry into a store to like <laughs> so try to get them to buy it to i don't necessarily um, think that that's the the greatest <laughs> method but it worked for me yeah. and um So the store owner, her name was Stacy, she said, you know, this really is working for us. Like, we're selling it. Why don't you try this when you graduate? And Mm -hmm. I was, okay. So I did. And I moved back home. And I started sewing in my bedroom at my parents' house and carrying my samples around. And I was like just knocking on doors and making phone calls and people were saying no and I was showing up anyway and I was super uninhibited and 22 and ready to just make it happen and fearless and okay with the no's and I just kept going until there were yeses and so that that's my start story. I also um, pretty early on met a woman who had just started a showroom and she had a PR person working so it was like two divisions, both sales and PR, which together can be a really effective yeah. team. And they were looking for new brands and I was looking for someone to help me. I had no idea what I was doing. I had like babysitting experience. So I, it's not like I had any idea what yeah. I was doing. I was a baby myself. And so pretty much straight out the gate, people were buying it, they were into it, celebrities were starting to wear it, stylists were coming in and borrowing pieces and can it was you, can kind you remember, of crazy like, your first like
0: breakthrough moment what that was
1: um well my biggest when
0: you were like oh my gosh this is something like i
1: my <laughs> for sure my biggest was at the height of jessica simpson's career when she was <laughs> everywhere and everybody oh. wanted to look like her and dress like her she was I wearing my clothes clearly all the time i clearly
0: remember wanting to be Jessica Simpson. Yeah, everybody. And (sighs) I very clearly have memories of her wearing these, like, jersey, flowy, drapey, that was...
1: That was what bought me a house at 23 years (laughs) old. Oh, my God. Those pants. She wore these pants, and, and then everybody wore the pants, and then Britney Spears was wearing the pants, and then... You know, I was traveling and my pants were being knocked off, and they were like and on o- the street and, in Bangkok. And
0: Oprah loves you. And so, Oprah, <laughs> you know, if Oprah loves you, you uh, you have arrived. Like yeah. that. That is where. That is where it goes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Many years ago, just my little Oprah oh. story is I did. Um, I was asked to be on Oprah's Favorite Things, oh. and you have to sign like a hundred NDAs. It's so crazy. They make it seem like if you leak this information, like. Everyone you know's life will be ruined. (laughs) It is so intense. But then they also required that I got Nordstrom to buy very deeply into the outfit she was featuring. But I couldn't tell them why. So I was calling Nordstrom and saying... Um, there's this thing, uh, it rhymes with Bopra. Oh, I can't oh tell you about it, but you need to buy like 1500 units of this. And it was so crazy because it was like, that was a huge thing that uh, put me on the map.
0: Yeah, but
1: it yeah. also scared me to death that I couldn't talk about anything. But
0: <laughs> it puts you Bopra. on the map. You had a degree in geography you got put on the on map. The map. Oh, Thanks, Oprah. Oprah, Bopra. <laughs> Bopra. Oh my gosh. Okay. So what... As I was listening to you, you know, give this, you know, Cliff's Notes, like a snapshot of your origin story, I kept thinking, gosh, there's so many values that you must have learned through this process, through both values that your parents, you know, offered up to you and that you, that became your own values that came through the process of hustling and building this, this business what are What are some values that you can identify that are really deeply meaningful and important to you that you learned from your parents and from the hustle and from building this this brand
1: Well I think um, one of the most important things is that i've always I was raised to, but also in my own my nature I really stay true to what I believe in there's mm. It's hard to sway me off of my own. Mm um, commitments to, you know, I, my whole career I've been, I produce everything in Los Angeles. You know, I, this is my city. This is where my economy is. This is where I should be contributing Mm. to the economy. So, um, kind of staying true to, to that. I feel like one of the other values that I was raised with is, well, I don't even know if it's a value, but confidence is Mm. that, um, I think especially in business, you have to be able to separate um personal from professional and if everything hits you so deeply in a personal mm. way i think it's really hard to grow professionally because then it's not always about it's not everything is in your control mm. so like i was saying about getting started and hearing a lot of no's and not letting that make me feel like what i was doing wasn't good enough or mm. not feeling bad about myself and just knowing that like there for so many no's there's going to be a yes and feeling like that didn't make me um, tear myself down.
0: I hear a lot of, I hear agency in that, Mm -hmm. you know, when I think of, I hear like a value of agency in that one thing that I know from just being familiar with your work and your journey is that when you said, I want to have a plus size line that you got some pushback on that. And so when you were talking about, you know, I, something that I've, I've learned is that if something is important to me, right, I'm going to have the agency and the confidence to say, no, this is something that I'm, I'm going to move forward with, even if other people are recommending I don't for X, Y, and Z reason.
1: That was a battle for me that was worth fighting for. Mm. And I feel like that has to do with just who I am, that there's just, I can't spend my whole career or my whole time in motherhood or my anything. I can't spend all this energy doing things that don't really make me feel full. Mm. And so feeling like if I was going to use some type of an unofficial tagline saying that I make clothes for everybody, and yet I wasn't actually making clothes for everybody, like that doesn't feel authentic or comfortable. Mm. And so when, when I was told that, having a plus size line would have a negative impact on my regular brand.
0: Mm.
1: I was like, that's ridiculous, you guys. That's Mm. an insane thing to say. And most of America is over size eight. Like, what's wrong with all of you Mm. that you think that this is negative when it's, there's nothing negative about it. All it is, is instead of making X amount of women feel beautiful, I can like open that up to, a wider variety of people. I just can't. I couldn't understand what yeah. could possibly be yeah. negative about, yeah. you know, inc- being inclusive. Mm.
0: So I'm hearing agency. I'm hearing the confidence. I also in the in in the hustle and in the being able to take the no's to get to the yes. I don't know. Did you have to, did you have to embrace like flexibility? <laughs> did you have to embrace like I, I'm, you know, as much as I can be an agent of the things that are important to me, do I also have to be able to like sway and move with the currents of the things that I have opportunities to do or the things that are being, that I'm being said no to, you know, how did flexibility show up in all this real?
1: Well, I think some of that is just personality. I'm not really a perfectionist Mm. and I'm not really rigid. I have Mm. plenty of challenges in my personality. You can ask my husband, but those are just not Mm. challenging for me. I'm, I think that I feel that more now as my industry is changing and my life is changing where I feel like I recognize the need to be flexible. Whereas Mm. before it was just like, you kind of have to go with the flow. You don't know what you're doing. You're going to have to just like Mm. wing it. And I did that for like, at least ten years, and then I think that especially now there's you know Instagram, for example, like mm. this is the new marketing tool, but I started my business during a time where all marketing was done through magazines, and um writers with master's degrees from n y u were the ones who were spreading the information about the industry and now it's a you know it can be a nineteen year old with an iPhone yeah. who has all this attention so being flexible about like having to grow my business in a new Mm. era is takes a lot more flexibility than when it was like my generation of designers were, were creating the zeitgeist. Now we have to follow with along with how the young people are doing it. And it's a totally, this takes a lot of flexibility for me. And, you know, I used to do five photo shoots a year, one for every season and one for every major collection and now I do five a month. It's Ugh. like the amount of output for my mm. company is so insane, but also the amount of, I mean, that it's just shifts the way that my focus has to be. Mm. So now I spend less time doing other things and more time art directing shoots. And it's, um, that, I feel like that takes the most flexibility is Mm. saying, I have a brand that's been around for 15 years, but in order for me to stay relevant, I have to play the new rules. And it's hard for me to learn new rules. It's like having, when I get a new phone, it takes me forever to learn how to use the new (laughs) phone. I just, and I'm resistant to it and I just don't feel like it. I don't have time to learn something new. And in this case, like I have to learn something Mm. new. You either like get on board or you're, you fade away.
0: So you know what you saying all this reminds me of as a mother of two and as somebody who personally, I'm a recovering perfectionist and a striving good enoughist, um, and a little type a motherhood just rocked me to the core and things that I, valued and things that I thought to be truths were like capital T truths were all of a sudden just rocked. Um, I know that you are also a mother, a mother to two.
1: Sometimes it feels like 200 (laughs) this morning. It felt like I had 200 (laughs) people having tantrums at the same time.
0: At the the (sighs) volume that it gets to and how much space it feels like it takes up in your house. Yeah. I, oh my gosh, can I relate to that? So How has motherhood, has it transformed you?
1: Um, I think so. I mean, I, now my older son is five. I cannot remember a time before him. Mm. He is, I feel like on a certain level, my life really started Mm. when he was born. Like my heart just broke open. And I think that I don't, I'm sure it's changed me. I can't imagine having that type of love that you have to face that has the flip side of that much fear is like, can't change you. I mean, I I feel like, of course it's changed me. Mm -hmm. You know, you're constantly, your heart is beating outside of your body. It's like the most transformative experience in that could ever happen. And, um, It's really amazing, but it has definitely changed the way I work because Mm. I can't wait to get home. And so I will go through a whole day with, like, eating almonds while I'm walking, holding my pee because I don't want to spend any extra minutes at work because I want to get home to my kids. So
0: didn't I just tell you when I walked in your <laughs> yeah. house today, I'm like, I have to go pee and I'm going to tell you that I have to go because if I don't, I'm You're so, just going to sit back I'm down. i you super good at holding it because my needs it's, just go out the door. Yeah, But you forget. <laughs> I was like, Rachel, just, you know, will you make sure yes, I go pee before
1: we, before sit, we, we down sit down and get this, we can take a little me time because usually someone oh. else is in there with you. Oh, out, yeah. No, there's that too. <laughs> so, so I, wh- I mean, it definitely, I feel like time management is a mm. huge difference. Yeah. And also, um, I feel like it both makes me want to, it makes me want to work harder because I want to be proud of what I do and I want my kids to be proud of what I do and I want my kids to see that I'm proud of what I do. I
0: bet it's this crazy thing where you want to work harder because all of a sudden there is so much more meaning to what you are working for and towards and for whom and what for. But also the working hard I imagine for you as I have experienced as well as so much different than it was when I was 22 and when you were 22 like the hustle mm-hmm. is different the like yeah. the the it's a different kind of working hard. So what does that look yeah, like
1: for you? Yeah. I was just joking with a friend <laughs> the other day. I was like remember when we were we were in our 20s and we were so tired. <laughs> oh Wasn't that cute? So, that cute? Isn't so that cute how tired we thought we were? <laughs> I mean, I just started to really notice that My face looks different Mm. and I'm okay with that. And Mm -hmm. I have no interest in going back in time, but it is, it kind of shocked me because I feel Mm. like it snuck up on me where I looked in the mirror and I really saw myself and I was like, oh, or like my husband said, um, he said, all the dads at the park look so old. And I was like, dude, (laughs) you look like the dads at the park. (laughs) You're one of the older dads. You're not one of the younger dads. Yeah. Yeah. we were like, wow, we are, you know, we're, we're going to be the older parents now. Now there's people who are having babies. And so we aren't the ones with the babies. And, um, it's, it's some, some reality right Mm. there. Yeah.
0: So how, how has work Okay, I was gonna use the word balance, and then I. But that's ridiculous. I know I I have this like visceral reaction to the word balance, but I almost said it because it's like, what else do we call it? Like, we need another word. So, what I was gonna ask before Mm -hmm. I was like, no, don't ask it that way. I was gonna (laughs) ask like work-life balance. But the thing is, is I don't think that balance. I think that the more we talk about balance, the more that we perpetuate this message that there is balance. No, there isn't. There isn't. So what, what does, what does it look like? What is life then? If it's Mm -hmm. not that, what is, how are you, how are you negotiating things? How are you? Well, I think I,
1: I respect that this is the time of my life that is the hardest. Mm. I respect that this is the period where I have two young children. I am working my butt off for my business. I have a commute. I still have a, I have a marriage that needs some attention mm-hmm. too, not just my kids, not just my job. And it is this is I feel like respecting that this is not the way life is always going to be is really important. My mom, a girlfriend of mine was having a conversation with my mom recently, and my mom is so beautiful and my parents have this total dream marriage. They are beyond in love with each other. Mm-hmm and they have two successful grown kids. And she said, Adrian, how did you do it? Like, this is so hard. And my mom was pretty nonchalant. And she said, well, honestly, I cried in the shower every day in my (laughs) thirties. And it was the best thing that Mm -hmm. we could have heard from her because she's on the other side of it. And you look at her and everything seems like it's all just fallen into place. And really, this is a time where We have to be easier on ourselves because there is going to be a time where, like, we aren't wiping butts, also. Like, there is going to be a time where our kids are more self sufficient, or a time where, you know, with careers, things ebb and flow. There are times that need more attention. There are times where you can coast a little bit. And just being okay with that and respecting that this is so hard and the days feel so long sometimes, but also this is just a chunk of time. And then, and then we'll go on to the next thing is like to respect that feels totally different than just to fear it. And, um, not to just like share tidbits from all these other people, but another friend of mine had recommended, I listen to this podcast and it was a conversation with Jack Kornfield, who's a big meditation teacher. And, you know, we all are hard on ourselves about, especially the first thing for me that goes is self-care. There's, and feeling like, well, if I had a meditation practice, but when am I going to do that? And at the end of the day, I'm so tired. And (laughs) in the podcast and the conversation, he said, there's no better teacher than children. Mm. Because if you think you need to go to study with a guru to have, or, you know, go to an ashram to like learn meditation, like, have you ever been with a baby who has colic? He's like, honestly, <laughs> there is no better oh, teacher than your children. And not gritting your teeth and pushing through it, but actually like breathing through it and resp- and mm-hmm. being able to handle it is a better teacher than any teacher could ever be. That alone made me feel so much better. That so if-
0: instead of white knuckling through yes. it, there's almost what I'm hearing you... Even though I ex- white knuckled this oh. morning,
1: this was <laughs> okay. such a rough morning. Yes.
0: I mean, okay, <laughs> I'm going to get to the white knuckling first in a second, but I want to first like just say how much you're speaking to my heart and my soul right now. Literally, Rachel, I got here early, like 30 minutes early and I was parked in my car and have just, it's been a really rough couple of days in with the kids, sick, marriage. It has just been a rough couple of days. And I called my best friend and we, she's like my person that, Like we can just show up for each other and like we will share our shame stories with each other because everybody needs a shame story buddy who will just not try to fix it, but will just say, I hear you and I'm so glad you told me and she's that person for me. And I called her and I was like, it has been so rough. And she was like, me too. And we just, and we talked about this piece of, she actually said it. She said, I think we are just at this time in our lives when, like if you and me are on the phone right now and you are a marriage and family therapist (laughs) (laughs) and, and and we are both struggling in this space of managing, owning our own businesses and mothering two young children and having partners. And also her and I both have so much support Right. And we know where the resources are and we're struggling. We're on the phone, like crying to each other about how hard it's been. And she was like, if, if we are struggling, like there is a collective struggle that is happening. We are, we are not alone in this. And I know this, but having her remind me of that was just so, it was so healing in that moment. And then to come in here home and, (laughs) and sit with you and have you share, share that too, that like, this is, this is really hard.
1: Yeah, we're in it. This is when we it. are in it.
0: In so many ways in in our professional lives, in our marriages, right? So much is being taxed on our marriages at this time in parenting. Our kids need us in so many in so many ways that even though I have done I've read all the books and I've studied the things and I work with parents day in and day out, Walking into my own home and being in it in that vulnerable, raw, brutal and beautiful way is, I mean, it's like it's like the trenches. And so whenever I hear this word balance, I want to like strangle the word. <laughs> and then there's social media. Yeah. That is just this like constant access to everybody else's beautiful, filtered, curated, moments, like those, those beautiful moments. And many of them are very authentic because they're just how ha- they happen to capture those moments. But I find that it's in our moments of, you know, shame and struggle that then we want to escape and we turn to our phones and we turn to maybe that app. And then we are seeing all of this perfection, perfection. And it is so dangerous. Yeah. I
1: feel like I'm seeing more honesty now because Mm. I think there's a backlash to that. So at least because I follow so many mommy pages and, you know, I feel like there's becoming a little bit of a shift where people are sharing their struggles. And I think that is the healthiest way to combat the, the less healthy parts about Instagram. Mm. Yeah. And, I, f- I have friends who are sharing infertility struggles. I have friends who are sharing postpartum depression struggles on I people who share their birth stories that aren't the way that they mm. hoped they would be. And I just feel like that is what we all need so much more mm. than just the perfect. And, you know, I I only post the pretty pictures, not, I mean, I don't know, on my personal page I post kind of whatever, but, you know, for Rachel Pally, it's so curated and, and really as far as, but I'm not, I'm a brand. I'm not a, I'm not, um, my, my page isn't just like me, Rachel. It's, it's my clothes. It's such,
0: it's such a sticky thing because I, so I have a personal that's very private and that's just, you know, I mean, it's still, the, I'm still not capturing the messy moments because right. I'm probably not having my phone there no. to capture it in those moments. <laughs> so there's still though the happy moments, but on my professional pages, it is very curated and I pick images and the, and the thing about it is like the way, especially these days, like the way that I can capture someone's attention is going to be with an image that aesthetically is Mm -hmm. going to capture their attention. And my, you know, and so my hope is that in doing that I can capture attention and then I can hit them with the real stuff around like (laughs) mental health and stuff. Right. But, but it's, but I I still struggle with that because I'm like, I look, I can look at my professional feeds and say like, this is curated in a very aesthetically pleasing way to the eye, but it's still curated and that's not real, but I have, but in order to get people's attention, it's like, you, you have yeah. to do that. And it's a sticky thing that I constantly in negotiating with myself that feels uncomfortable, but also feels like, how else do I get the message? Yeah. I don't know. No. I, I don't have the answer. And I'm looking at you like, Rachel, do you have any answers? I don't, but, but I also
1: have a love-hate relationship with it. Yeah. And I feel like recently, um, in 15 years of being in my business, there's been no community at all. And I feel like in the last year or two, I've really feel like I'm building a community of entrepreneurial women that I know through Instagram, who I now have have in real life relationships with, who are doing what I'm doing, which is all of it at the same time close to explosion all the time and being able to connect on a personal level with other women who are in it the way mm. I'm in it feels like it's the best part of Instagram mm. and I'm happy to have that because it's not it's the mindless um obsessive scrolling yes. that is the problem yes. it's not the it's not picking a few people and and getting good content. It's Mm. the fact that like an hour can pass and you don't even realize how you don't even care what you're looking at. And you've just wasted all this time and you feel like in your life, you have no time for yourself. And yet you just spent an hour looking at nothing of interest at all. And that is where I think it's really dangerous. We had, um, a party on last weekend and, um, all, um, couples with kids and someone said, oh, you can look on your, the battery app and like in your, the the uh, part of your phone and it'll say how much of your battery is being used by each app. And we all were looking and it was like, 10 hours on Instagram this last week, oh uh, 12 hours. Yes. And everyone was like, I don't want to look. I don't want to look. Yeah. And yeah. then it was really like kind of healthy for all of us to, to look. I was like, look. I don't want to look in front of anybody else. And then I was like <laughs> relieved that it was like a little less than someone else. And then I was <laughs> like, this is insane. We're all insane. This is <sighs> like an unbelievable time and energy suck, especially during a time of life where you're like, I, what, I don't have time to meditate, but I have time to look at a bunch of stuff I don't care about. It's that, I feel like that talk about balance, Mm. that is not balance.
0: No, it's not. And, but you're right. It's such a double edged sword because I, I as well, well I've connected with so many, like all, almost all of my friends, like mom friends have, I've met online, Yeah, you know, and it's just, that's insane, but it's so true. And so many, I've got a lot of clients have found support groups that I've run or workshops that I've, you know, or that I've shared and then they attended. And so there's so much, there's so much resource and community that can be found, but we have to be smart, intentional consumers users of it and our kids are growing up when it is just the norm and so yeah. we have to learn how to do it so that yeah. we can support them in yeah. being able to do it. How about too. I
1: don't let my kid look at the iPad but I can like look at my phone? <laughs> I know. I'm like the I'm oh like you gosh. can't eat that while well, I'm like hiding. I'm like have the refrigerator door open and I'm like shoveling pieces of chocolate into my mouth, but yeah. I won't let him have any. Like literally
0: the other day, <laughs> my daughter was like, can I, she wanted to play this game on, on her iPad. And I was like, no, I think that you've ha-, you know, I think that maybe a little too much screen time as my phone was in my hand
1: yeah.
0: and I, and I caught it yeah. and we her and I, I had, a, we had a conversation about it. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what, Riley, I think that you saying that just made me realize that maybe I could put this down yeah. too. Yeah. And she looked at me like, yeah, mom. Yeah, I'm mom. like, yup. <laughs> okay. You got to own that right yeah. there. <laughs> Thank you for calling me out. Oh my gosh. So what do your, what do your days look like and how are you finding time? Not for balance, but how are you ne- making the negotiations of how you're going to choose self-care integrate it? Like what are the signs to you when you know that like, I need a little bit more self-care here. I'm running on fumes. Yeah, I feel like that was the first thing to go.
1: Like, I've been to three exercise classes, like, since my son was born, he's gonna be two. Um, <laughs> it's like I have my left arm as my baby carrying arm, and it's totally toned, and the rest <laughs> of my body is just not. Yep. Um, but I recently started to go salsa dancing with one of my best mm. friends on, like, the occasional Wednesday night, and it starts at 10 p.m. Mom's out there. Isn't that insane?
0: I mean, it's an insane I, thing. That
1: is- And yet, I have been. Now I've been four times or three times in the last month, and And
0: I love it so
1: much. I can't even stand it. I love it so much. It doesn't even matter that I'm exhausted because for two hours, I can just dance and sweat and smile. And I just, it like recharges me in a million ways. I feel like it's, if I don't have time for exercise and therapy for me, that is exercise and therapy at the same time. I, and it's after my kids are asleep. I'm, I mean, getting out of the house for 10 o'clock is <laughs> insane. It's an insane thing. I'm like, yeah. I want to be asleep at eight o'clock.
0: Oh, me So too. I'm like
1: fighting it. This week, I actually went to um, have dinner and go to see Tully with a couple of my mom friends yes. from B- mommy and me with my first son. And One evening of like girls night out plus Mm. dancing was completely recharging. I feel like this week has been one of those very rare. Yesterday I had a shoot at the beach with a dear friend and that was so recharging. We Mm. had the drive to catch up. And right now I'm like sitting with a new friend and talking about mom stuff. And I just feel like I was probably close to implosion like last week. And now I feel like I can totally face face it again. And, what and I'm I...
0: hearing though, and what you're saying is like, you're almost like reclaiming self-care. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of ideas of what self-care is supposed to look like. Um, it's supposed to be working out in this one way, right? Mm-hmm. Like one idea of what that looks like or getting a massage or I don't know. Self-care is I, what I'm hearing you say that you've reclaimed self-care where you're like, it sounds crazy, But it works for me. Yeah,
1: and I said to my husband, like, maybe I'll go once in a while. He's like, why don't you go every week? I was like, I don't know. Why don't I go every week?
0: Like, is that is that? I mean, what does he care? Like, he's it's the kids are asleep. It's not
1: like I mean he can put he's a totally hands on dad. He doesn't (laughs) need me to be home. Yeah, Um, but also it happens to be after our family Mm -hmm. time, so why not? He's like, what's the big deal? Why don't you just go? Um, and I know it like wakes him up when I get home super late, but he also sees that I'm so happy after it. Mm. So to have that support, I feel like a lot of it relies on like whether your partner is supportive of making sure that you're also taking yeah. care of yourself. And I have to do yeah. that for him too. I have yeah. to help him to know that he's got to have some time for himself too.
0: But we also we have to ask, we have to, yeah. we have to, we have to name it right yeah. Be- before we get to the point where it's like, boiling over yeah. and you yeah. know, we're literally running on fumes. Yeah.
1: Well, the other night I was, it was a little too late. I like had missed the window with our, with our baby, the two-year-old and he was literally, I was going to start to freak out. He was making me so crazy. It was yeah. like pouring the second I like shifted my, I, he was just, he was in the bathtub and Water was just spilling everywhere and he was screaming and standing up and I couldn't get him to sit down. And I was like, um, tap out, tap (laughs) Tap out. out. And Kevin came in and I tapped out. I like had to, Mm. and then I was fine. I like just stood in the other room where like no one was touching me for two seconds and then I could come back in and I put him to bed. bed. But
0: yeah, tap out, help. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. So support and knowing Mm -hmm. when to say, it's time for me to tap out or I need to go salsa dancing and sweat it out right now. (laughs) So Rachel, one question that I, I love to ask people when, when I feel called to ask is have, have they ever been in therapy? I think sometimes, right, there's a, well, sometimes there is a stigma around therapy and who goes to therapy and why people would go to therapy And I love to ask the question of you, somebody who has a very successful business and many may look up to, have you ever been to therapy, Rachel?
1: Yeah, I've been to therapy a lot. Um, I started going to therapy when I was in high school. Um, I don't even remember what it was specifically that brought me there. Probably that I was awful and my parents were like, (laughs) someone, we need help. And it really did um, give me a really safe space to talk through my teen angst and whatever else. I don't even remember at this point. Then I revisited in college. I had spent um, a summer living in Kenya and I had seen some scary things and it was, I was very overwhelmed by my experience and I had grown a lot, but I kind of didn't know what to, how to talk about that. Mm
0: -hmm. Like how to consolidate your experiences and make Mm -hmm. meaning to it and be able to talk to you about it. Yeah.
1: And to, to see that level of poverty is really scary and heartbreaking. And also there was a lot of illness where I was and, Mm. um, a lot of death. And I was, that wasn't my whole experience. And yet when I got home, that was the part that I couldn't, um, Mm. reconcile on my own. And it's not like you want to talk to your friend be like, Hey, you guys want to get a beer and talk about that dead body I saw? Yeah. So we didn't talk about that. (laughs) So I got back into therapy then. And that was really helpful, and that just progressed into other things. And then in my early 20s, when my business started to really get serious, um, I started to see a therapist then. I was very overwhelmed by the amount of responsibility that Mm. came along with the business. Um, I was overwhelmed um, having um, employees who were depending on my success in order to feed their families and that felt incredibly too much yeah. for a kid to handle. Mm. I had to make a living will at 23 and that was too much for a kid. I was a kid. Yeah. So I started a very regular weekly therapy practice then and I saw her for probably close to 10 years, wow. or 8 years maybe. And that was such a deep and meaningful relationship um i also had a live-in boyfriend for many years before i met my husband mm. and working through that relationship that was really not the right one for me and also um transitions just going through that period of my life was so valuable for me to have a regular therapy practice and after a while you know i felt like i had so many tools that it was maybe time to either work with somebody different because then it became it was we had our a relationship that was so deep and long standing and i needed different things but my husband and i still we have a therapist that we um see on occasion we don't see her regularly but every once in a while it's nice to go in for a tune up he and i have very different communication styles mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we're both hot-headed and stubborn and fiery so put the mm-hmm. two of us together when things get <laughs> challenging and it's very intense mm-hmm. that's the really pretty yeah. way of saying it yeah. and um so and he he hadn't gone through much therapy or if any before and it was hard to get him to be open to it in the first place but once he went it's like there's something very liberating about having a non-judgmental third party to just hold space for you and, and for you to hear each other out. And so we do, we, we kind of tune in as, you know, on occasion.
0: I love that. I love what you shared because in, in your experiences with therapy, you, there were so many different reasons why you went to therapy. There was somebody, I think my parents made me go. There yeah. was, I uh, trauma. Mm-hmm. There was, I am transitioning into this, you know, role as a businesswoman and feeling this huge responsibility. And I need, I'm feeling like I need support in how much responsibility I'm holding. There was also relational, right? So relational transitions, but also mm-hmm. relational maintenance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, it's so, it's, my, my, my whole aim with this whole podcast thing and stepping into the larger wellness conversation is to demystify therapy and why we would go to see a therapist, what a therapist is like, um, what, what, you know, why and when we should be going and, and that there's just, there's no shame in asking for support. No, and you,
1: in fact, I think it's a luxury. It mm-hmm. is an unbelievable treat to go in and have someone really hear you. Yeah. And also for someone to not, you know, when, like you were saying about your best friend, I too have my Rachel, and I call her, and I can unload everything and anything. And she really, you know, she she's not just my yes man. Mm. She's there to like, yeah. she'll be like, wow, you're
0: yeah. out of line yeah. there, dude. Yeah. But
1: it's, um, but most of the time when we are sharing our, feelings with our friends they're they already love us and they're yeah. going to the perspective yep. <laughs> that you get from someone who's 100% on your team yes. anyway yes. is very different from somebody who can be on the outside and just hear you and help support making better choices or and as, asking as questions as a therapist
0: I can sp- I can I feel that in my like as with my friendships, I cannot show up as their therapist mm-hmm. because that is, that is a real thing. Like yeah. I am way too emotionally clouded yeah. <laughs> to be able to hold space for them in a way that my therapist, because as a therapist, I, everyone in my family has therapists. It's yeah. just a, it's a given that, that my therapist can hold a different space for me than my friend can hold for me. Mm-hmm. I am, I'm I'm with my friends in a different way than I'm going to be with a client. Mm. So, absolutely, oh, thank you so much for sharing that yeah. piece.
1: And in addition to needing therapy, there is a piece about deep friendships being um, helping to offset the. I feel like when I can't get into therapy, I'm grateful to mm. have friends who can be really straight with me. Yes. But also, having an outlet to share good and bad and just be able to talk is, you know, I see it with like. I have a few people that are my regular checker checker inners. Mm. And I know that with my husband, he has fewer guy friends that do that to check in with each other. And that like, when things are hard, it's, um, it's easier for me to cope because mm. I have a, a yes. support team. Um, and I think that especially for men being able to demystify and just oh. to support the need yes. to have, um, emotive, conversations, honest, open, vulnerable conversations is like, I feel like girlfriends kind of do that on Mm. a certain level anyway. Mm -hmm. And so the more it can be normalized, I think it's, it helps everybody. It helps individuals. It helps marriages. It helps careers. It helps everything to just be able to be and be supported for just being.
0: Well, some might say I'm biased, (laughs) but I could not agree more. (laughs) There was one mm-hmm. last question that I wanted to ask that I've been, I keep meaning to ask people I interview and then I always forget that I always regret it after. I, I love this question of if you were not a fashion designer, if you were not designing beautiful, effortless clothes that fit all types of bodies and are just so gorgeous, if you weren't doing that, what would you be doing?
1: I would want to be a midwife.
0: A midwife.
1: Yeah, I feel that's a quick answer for me. I don't want to go to school for that many years, but if I hadn't done this, I feel like that would have been the best fit for me. And if not a midwife, then a birth educator. Or, I mean, I fantasize about like my next phase of life. Maybe I'll be a doula. I feel like mm. becoming a mother and experiencing birth, and um, was the most transformative experience. And it is. There's never been anything in my life that's ever been that interesting to me mm. or amazing. Mm-hmm. And oh, I it's love my, that. I just can't get enough. So my, one of my best friends is a, a mid, I mean, is a doula yeah. and, um, it's like, basically it's my favorite subject.
0: <laughs> so I got, I want to share this as a, re, as share this to listeners that you share both of your birth stories on the birth hour podcast it's and an amazing podcast. I, it is. I mean, I just, I love what they're doing in. Just holding space for people to share birth stories and all the different ways in which they can look, and you also share in that podcast your struggles that you had with breastfeeding, and I I, I recently did an episode with um, the founder of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center, Robin Kaplan. She also is the author of the book Latch, and so. I think if, if people are listening and they are interested in hearing your story, your birth story, but also your candid honesty around your struggles around breastfeeding, I hope that they go and listen to the birth hour podcast.
1: Yeah. It's a really important resource I think for, for, um, pregnant mamas, but also I still listen to them. They're just wonderful stories. They're anything from home births to elected C-sections to, um, Surrogacy. Surrogacy. Uh, it's they're just they're a hundred percent non-judgmental. Just beautiful stories told from the mama's perspective, mm. and I mean, I feel like I drive to work and I will like be in my parking space and still like sitting in the car wanting to finish up an episode just because it's so beautiful to hear. Um, it's kind of like what you're doing here, which is just hearing other people's experiences. Just feels validating and supportive and you don't have to know someone to have something in common and and to connect. connect. And Mm -hmm. so I loved sharing those stories.
0: So you, I'm I'm just so (laughs) grateful to you for taking the time to sit with me and talk about the sides of motherhood that we don't always necessarily get a chance to talk about, but more of us are doing it. Thank goodness. And I'm just grateful to you for taking the time to do that with me. I love it. It's my favorite subject. Inviting (laughs) me into your home. Thank you so much, Rachel. Where can people find you and Um, find your work?
1: My website is rachelpally.com. That's that's a good starting place. And on Instagram, it's at rachelpally. And same with Facebook.
0: Thank you, Rachel, so much. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Talk about self-care. I got to chat with a mama for an hour. (laughs) It's so nice
0: you've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode. If you did, you might want to subscribe and be the first to hear about future episodes as soon as they air. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me. Have a great day.